You're listening to Hire Through Retire, a health and wealth podcast with FOIA leaders, Bill Harmon and Heather Lavallee, tackling all things from 401ks to HSAs and everything in between. We're talking to the best and brightest in the industry to bring you the latest in health, wealth, and investment trends in the workplace. Come along with us on our journey to help all Americans become well-planned, well-invested, and well-protected. Welcome back to Hire Through Retire, a health and wealth podcast. My trusty co-host, Bill Harmon, is traveling today, but we have an important topic to talk about. So as they say, the show must go on, but don't worry, he'll be back next time. That said, I am here today with a special guest co-host whose voice might sound familiar as he's been a guest on our podcast before, and that is none other than Jeff Simony, Senior Vice President of Retirement Product Management here at Voya. Thanks, Heather. And let me say, it's exciting to be here in the co-host role. Don't worry, I'm not going to get too comfortable. I know I'm sitting in Bill's seat. I'm going to do the honors today of introducing our guest. And as Heather mentioned, it's an important and timely topic. So we're glad to be here to discuss. We're here today with a fantastic repeat guest for a topic that frequent listeners know Bill and Heather like to talk about, legislation. It's a hot topic, and it's one we know our listeners want to hear about. So back with us today is our friend, for a little update on what's new in DC. His name is Mike Hadley of Davis and Harmon. Even more exciting than that, you might remember Mike joined us for an earlier episode where we dove into Secure 2.0, but that was only episode seven for us. And today we're here for episode 30. So it's safe to say we've had some changes in the retirement legislative landscape. Welcome back to the pod, Mike. We're thrilled to have you back. Well, thanks for having me. And I guess I will say I'm very honored to be a repeat guest. And as always, explaining what's going on in DC is an exciting, fun, and challenging. I'll do my best to do it in uh, plain English. Well, Mike, we're so excited to have you back. And you always have a knack for taking the complex and making it digestible. You know, we're so excited. We know that there is so much going on in DC as it pertains to retirement legislation. And uh, we want to jump right into the topic that everyone wants to know more about, and that's Secure 2.0. And we know this one has taken some turns and been updated here and there since the introduction last year. So why don't we start with a high-level view of what it includes today and where we stand on the status? Well, thanks. And it, it is an important topic and one that will that has had some twists and turns and will. The biggest news really to report since I was last on your podcast is that the full house has actually passed what we call Secure 2.0. It actually has a different name. Uh, the Securing a Strong Retirement Act of 2022. doesn't really roll off the tongue, so we're just going to say Secure 2.0. And it passed by a vote of 414 to 5. And I challenge you to go out into the street and ask more than 400 people a question and get everyone but five to agree on it. I think that's great. Um, Don't let anyone tell you there's no bipartisanship here in Washington. There, There very well can be. That follows work by a number of the committees that work on tax and ERISA issues um, who pass their versions of the bill through ultimately to the the floor of the house. And I'll talk about in a minute kind of where we go from here, but let's talk a little bit about some of the provisions in the bill. Now there's almost 50 provisions and this is a a nice lengthy podcast. It's not that long. So I'm just gonna pick out a couple that I wanna highlight to give you a sense of breadth of provisions that are in the bill. First of all, a whole bunch of provisions to get more people into 401k and 403b plans, as well as increase their savings rate. First of all, one of our favorite topics, I know near and dear to your heart, and that is automatic enrollment, a tool that we have found really increases 
the number of people that are in a 401k or 403b plan and the amount that they're saving. Under this bill, um, with some exceptions, new plans, new plans that come into existence after this bill would be required to have automatic enrollment as a feature, meaning that you start at work and you would be automatically enrolled at 3%. You could elect more, or you could elect less, um, but that would be a feature going forward. There are some exceptions for really new businesses and very small businesses where that doesn't make sense, but generally the idea is really make automatic enrollment a permanent feature of our system because of how successful it is. Speaking of um, incentives, the bill would also significantly enhance the tax credits that a small business can claim for starting up a plan. There's already a tax credit that a small business can claim if it starts a plan to help offset some of the administrative costs. And that would be significantly enhanced, number one, by uh, increasing it for very small businesses, uh, those under 50 employees, as well as actually providing a tax credit to offset the cost of the money the employer has to put in. Uh, small businesses, because of some of the complex rules, often have to put in some of their own money, either as a matching contribution or otherwise, and that can be expensive and discourage some small businesses. And the bill would provide that uh, a employer can take a tax credit of up to $1,000 to offset some of those costs. An issue that I know is really important to you all is the 403B market. 403B plans are plans for nonprofits as well as for educational institutions, sort of their equivalent of a 401k. And the bill makes a number of important changes for 403B plans. Number one, it would allow them to take advantage of something Secure 1.0 did, namely uh, allow them to band together into what's called a multiple employer plan, or sometimes called a pooled employer plan, which under current law, they can't really do. Secondly, it would enhance the investments that are available to them. Right now, 403B plans can only uh, invest in annuities and mutual funds. And so they don't have the ability to invest in institutional class investments. Another word for that is lower cost. If you don't mind, I'll end with two provisions that are really just aimed at really trying to meet people where they are. Um, and that's one of the things we've learned is that employees are all different and we have to find a way to kind of meet them where they are. So two provisions quickly, I'll mention that, um, that are intended to sort of deal with pockets of people to try to get them saving. Number one, people with student loans. We've talked about in the past, Heather, um, about a provision that would make it very easy for an employer to offer a plan design where you've got an employee who can't save in the plan because their student loans are too high, it would allow the employer to say, tell you what, you go ahead and pay off your student loans, don't contribute to the plan, we'll still give you that matching contribution that you otherwise would have gotten had you been able to contribute. And then here's my last and sort of my personal favorite. Right now, if you've got an employee who's kind of on the fence about starting their contribution into the 401k or 403b plan, they're not sure. Right now, because of a silly IRS rule, you can't give them a financial incentive to do that. You can't give them a Starbucks gift card or a fancy mug to encourage them to start their contribution. That's because of an old IRS rule. On a bipartisan basis, members of Congress said, well, that's dumb, right? We should be able to give small financial incentives. How many people is that going to get contribute into the plan? Not a ton, but some. And it's a new, new tool in the toolbox for employers. Well, that was a whirlwind tour. I'm sure you have lots of questions, but that gives you a sense of the breadth of some of the almost 50 provisions in the bill. Mike, that's fantastic. Thank you so much. 
And as you indicated, I think in your first comments, we're very much focused on expanding coverage, encouraging participation and savings. I think some of the ways that that they've identified them like auto enrollment and incentives for, you know, the the younger folks. I have two young kids in in the labor force where student debt can be a a prohibitive for them to participate in a long-term savings program like this. And certainly encouraging and incentives for small businesses is, is always helpful. That's the area that we've seen less participation rates than we have over larger companies that are there. But building on this, there's several provisions, you know, while they're helping individuals and companies by offering, you know, further opportunities to support retirement readiness. Is there anything in the bill, though, that that you're hearing that is concerned to either you or others that may be voting on this? I think a mark of a good piece of legislation is that it doesn't give us everything we want. And it gives us a few things that uh, we don't like right? Because it's a bill representing compromise among Republicans and Democrats, among those who represent sort of participant groups, as well as those who represent plan sponsors and service providers. So yes, there are going to be a few things we don't like. I think I called them vegetables on the last podcast, and I shouldn't have done that. My wife told me that um, we already have enough trouble getting our kids to eat vegetables. I shouldn't have said that's a bad thing. So I'll just, I'll just call them, um, you know, some of the offsets. Let's say it that way. And I guess one I'll highlight, there is a provision in the bill that um, provides a, creates a mandate on uh, 401k and and similar plans. And it basically says, when you've got an employee that reaches, that reached that age for which they're allowed to make catch-up contributions, age 50, right? They're allowed to make additional contributions beyond the limit to catch up um, for uh, any savings they weren't able to do when they were younger. Under the bill, those catch-up contributions would need to be made on a Roth basis, meaning they're taxable now, but you don't pay tax later when they're distributed from the plan. And the reason that that, that was included is because it causes more people to pay tax in the next 10 years. And as we've talked about in the past, the uh, federal government only budgets its tax revenue gain and its tax revenue loss, money coming in and out of the government, over the next 10 years. So Roth contributions look like they're bringing money into the government, right? So that provision, sort of a budget trick, um, is imposing a mandate on employers. I would say even worse than the mandate. I think eventually we will adjust to that. Even worse is that under the House bill, that provision would go into effect on January 1 of next year. And Roth contributions require some very sophisticated coordination between the employer's payroll system as well as the, the 401k or 403b record keeping system. So you're tracking that it's a Roth contribution. And we can deal with that. Providers like Boy are very sophisticated, um, but not if the bill's passed on Christmas and we have six days to implement. So even if that provision stays, I think it's important that we get a lot more time to uh, implement it so that we implement it correctly. So Mike, as somebody who, uh, who generally likes my vegetables, that one may be something where, uh, I'll see if I do my bad pun, could be a little bit harder for certain uh, entities to digest in terms of how we administer some of the complexities of these provisions. With that, Bill Harmon, I, I don't know how to be funny. So, so that's my bad attempt at a, at a joke. So, so let me bring it back to um, you know, thinking about within our audience, we tend to have a lot of employers and plan sponsors You know, as you think about some of the things that are most important for them to know once a bill is signed into law, and you just kind of gave an example of, you know, complexity of of Roth and just some of the things that we have to kind of think through 
from an employer perspective, what might the rollout and expectations look like that employers should be thinking about? So if you think about Secure 1.0, we call this bill Secure 2.0. And and we do that in part because it's following a very similar process and is going to have some of the same effects. Most of the provisions in this bill are optional, uh, allowing plan design changes that you don't have to adopt if you don't want to. And most of them, you wouldn't need to do anything on day one. But over time, as providers like Voya begin to program it, uh, figure out ways to explain it to employees, because that's just as important, some of those optional features will begin to become available. In Secure 1.0, there was something called Qualified Birth or Adoption Distributions, a special provision allowing folks that have a baby to take money out if they choose to. That didn't roll out immediately. It's very complicated and eventually became available as a plan feature. And this new bill has a similar one allowing distributions in the case of domestic violence, um, which will require some programming, some explanation, may not be available on day one, but will be available over time. And then after that, whatever provisions that are optional that you decide to uh, implement in your plan, eventually you'll have to amend your plan, although you'll have plenty of time to do that. Again, I think our big fear is that Congress will do what it sometimes does. Shoot, it always does. And that is wait until the last minute that they bring the the Senate version as it's being developed, bring this House version that passed the House, bring them together, and then attach this to some larger bill and pass it literally right before they go off on Christmas vacation. That's fine, as long as they give us plenty of time to to be ready. Mike, that's great, thank you. We've heard some additional activity on legislation that's also being proposed outside of Secure 2.0, things like emergency savings. Can you share a little bit more about what's happening there and and any insights you have on those topics? Sure. Yeah, that's great. And in fact, I think folks in the House of Representatives would have liked to have been able to include something in their bill on emergency savings, because I think they recognize what all of your listeners do. And that is that before you really can get somebody saving in the plan, it's important they have some sort of emergency savings to deal with emergencies, right? So that's really the first thing we recommend folks do and thinking about how Congress might be able to help there. There are um, discussions going on on the Senate side, um, so that as the Senate's putting together its bill, with some idea that maybe they could include uh, an emergency savings provision. Now, it would have to be done on a bipartisan basis, but there are lots of bipartisan ideas that are being floated. I'll mention two that have gained at least some interest and for which there's, there's some bipartisan support. One would be to simply offer a new type of distribution that would be exempt from that 10% penalty that you sometimes have to pay, um, that would be available for emergency savings. But you wouldn't have to go through the rigmarole of proving a hardship. You could simply get, say, $500 if needed from the plan to to repair a car or deal with some sort of house repair or an unexpected medical bill. No questions asked, but there would be a limit on it. Another idea that is currently being developed is the idea of some kind of a sidecar account inside the plan, um, saved in something uh, very safe, like a money market fund or stable value fund. Again, with some limit, but with the idea that the the plan would hold it, it would be able to be done on a tax preferred basis, but again, available for um, an employee that needed it in the case of emergency. And you sort of build that together, you have automatic enrollment, et cetera. I do think that that there are folks in the Senate who would like to include that as part of the Secure 2.0 package, Why do they want to include it in a retirement bill? Well, because that is a bill that is moving. And a moving bill is like a Christmas tree. 
Everyone's trying to hang an ornament on it. And it would be great if we could come to some consensus, at least to offer some sort of new structure that employers could implement. So Mike, that's great. It, it's an area that we are very supportive of and have been doing a lot of work with our clients on. Um, I think COVID, uh, for the most part, did highlight the need for emergency savings You know, with, with the participants that are savings for long-term, the positive impact that having uh, short-term financial security has on long-term savings, things like retirement plans. In fact, we've been working very closely with a national nonprofit commonwealth who's part of BlackRock's Emergency Savings Institute to bring different product solutions to our customers. No, I think it's fantastic. And I was going to say, you know, Mike, as always, first, thank you again for for joining us and um, really kind of breaking down this bill, as you said, 50 provisions into kind of the main uh, the main points for our listeners. And what I get so excited about is this bill is really, as you said, meeting Americans where they are, meeting employers where they are of helping five generations in the workforce with very broad needs from helping to pay down student debt, build emergency savings, as well as those closer in age to retirement for catch up. And, and you know, as you talked about for uh, startup plans for small employers. Um, so again, Mike, just, just a huge thank you for joining us today. Thanks as always. It's a great podcast. I am a regular listener and uh, it's really an honor to be on. Well, thank you. And, and I also, uh, I, I would be remiss if I did not thank Jeff uh, for filling in as co-host today. Uh, and of course, a huge thank you to our listeners for tuning into today's episodes. And Bill, I know you're out there listening someplace, so uh, we'll see you back next time. I want to thank you all for coming along on our journey today. Stay well. This information is provided by Voyeur for your education only. Neither Voyeur nor its representatives offer tax or legal advice. Any opinions expressed within do not necessarily reflect those of the Voyeur family of companies or its representatives and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. Please consult your tax or legal advisor before making a tax-related investment or insurance decision. Products and services offered through the Voya family of companies.